Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and I'm delighted to have you here today. Okay, I'm back from Europe. I had a great teaching stretch, two weeks of teaching in yin yoga trainings in Zurich, and I needed about a week to recover, but now I'm back and um, getting back into the swing of the podcast and, and regular weekly classes. Before I give you today's talk, um, and I'll say more about that in a second, but before I give you today's talk, I just want to let you know that if you are here f- and you're interested in yin yoga, Chinese medicine, how the, the, the theoretical framework of Chinese medicine can inform and help understand what we're doing in yin yoga, or if you're interested in meditation or qigong and yang yoga, please check out our all-new shop page. That's at joshsummers.net forward slash shop. And there you'll see we have on-demand workshops, which look at how yin yoga harmonizes the qi from a Chinese medical perspective. I have some meditation workshops there. Terry has a qigong workshop coming up soon. But all of our workshops, um, once they're recorded, are available as replays in the library um, through the shop page. And you can purchase them individually, or as I'll say shortly, you can join the Sangha and have access to the, all of them with your membership. So if you're interested in any of those workshops, or we have also um, seven to 10 hour courses, many courses on yin yoga, Chinese medicine, meditation, yang yoga. Um, and we also have a 50 hour online training. Now these are all on demand. Um, I would say if you're just getting interested, check out the workshops. If you're looking for a bit more, if you're a teacher, you want some more resources for your own teaching, for your own knowledge base, check out the courses and the training. But those are all on joshsummers.net forward slash shop. And related, if you're interested in having more support in your own personal practice, if you'd like to have people to practice with, Terry and I have created an online practice sangha where we feature a meditation session, we feature yin yoga and qigong session, we feature a yin yoga and meditation session, and we have a yang yoga session. And and so those are our four weekly classes that you can practice along with live if the schedule works, or as a member, you would have access to these classes in the library where these are all recorded and stored. So uh, this is our attempt to, to help support folks who are looking for that support in their ongoing practice. So if tomorrow when your sit bones hit the zafu or your feet hit the yoga sticky mat and you're wishing, wow, I wish I had a little bit more support, I wish I had a little more inspiration, or you just felt like you, you wish you just didn't feel quite as alone in your practice, you wanted more of a sense of community and um and, and, and accountability even, I would say. That's the one thing that, that practicing with others really can help seal is a sense of accountability, which itself supports continuity. And that's the key. Let me just say this very clearly. I think no matter what practice you do, whether no matter what the technique or the style, the key to transformation within these practices is the ongoing continuity of the practice itself. And that's something that I know I struggled with at one point in time, and I know many people, particularly as they're getting into practice, can struggle with that continuity. So we just wanted to create an environment whereby anyone looking for low-key support with friendly folks, um, 
we wanted to make people feel comfortable and invited to join into this kind of a space where we talk about practice, we approach practice in a, in a relaxed way, and we have open discussions about it. And all of this together supports all of our learning and development. So if that's of interest, check out joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, where you can become a member at one of our sliding fee uh, membership tier. So we start at $5 a month and go anywhere up to $99 a month. And that's a way to both support the podcast and um, support your own practice. Now, I should say, if you're not interested in practicing at all, but you would like to just chip in and support the podcast, that's one way to do it too. You could just join as a member at $5 a month. That's that's roughly a cup of coffee or a couple cups of coffee a month to uh, support the work that we do here uh, with the podcast, if this is of value to you. If you're just stopping by, though, if you're new to the show, don't worry about any of that. That's You'll hear about these messages to come in the future. And if you'd like to, you know, uh, increase your level of support or engagement uh, we'll remind you of how you might be able to do that but if you are supporting us thank you we really we we depend on your support we this is our livelihood and we really appreciate uh, whatever you can chip in with okay so now for today's talk um, as i've been saying in the sangha during this season i've been shifting a little bit of the meditation instruction from a very receptive style that I refer to as yin meditation. And from the yin meditation, we're transitioning into what might maybe called yang meditation, which building on the foundation of this receptivity, we now open to what's going on in the present with particular uh, tools of looking at what's happening in the present. And that process of being aware of what's happening moment to moment in your real-time experience is one way of describing the objectives of Vipassana meditation. And Vipassana simply means to see clearly, or as Joseph Goldstein said to me in an interview once, Vipassana is the practice of observing what's happening moment to moment without grasping. So um, we've been emphasizing some approaches to Vipassana so far, and if you, if you haven't caught up with those talks, and if you are interested, please check those out. There's um, a two-part podcast series I did on the key to stillness, and then a two-part so far basic Vipassana instruction series, and those you'll see in the, in the feed. Those are all prepped to what I'm about to talk about in this talk. In this talk, I try to contextualize the role that Vipassana practice plays in the overall contemplative development or in the overall development of a contemplative path. You know, why is it helpful to be able to really see moment-to-moment experience and particularly the content of moment-to-moment experience with, with very clear, precise, sharp perception? What does that confer spiritually? Um, and I'll... I'm speaking about that in this talk, and this is probably a theme that will be expanded upon as as these talks go. So um, I hope you enjoyed today's talk, and without further ado, I'll now bring you Vipassana in Context. For tonight, what I'd like to do again is is kind of present the big picture, what I see as part of the big picture in, in contemplative practice, and put in context specifically what we're doing when we say we're practicing um, 
vipassana meditation or this, this practice known as insight meditation sometimes translated as seeing clearly a practice that supports seeing clearly that's what vipassana uh, literally translates as and if i were to zoom out i'd say on one level uh, we're talking about a, a a practice that could be thought of as an art of awareness or uh, the awareness of art itself um, and really looking at specifically how what we pay attention to reveals certain things about what we're seeing and experiencing and then the kind of the lens from which we look upon our experience whether it's uh, sort of the lens of our the state of our consciousness like what kind of mood we're in um the the the, the aperture of our, of our awareness or attention how narrow is it focused or how wide and broad um and at least in in many of the spiritual traditions there's a sense of levels of consciousness where consciousness identifies with different aspects of experience depending on what level it's being uh, experienced from and I'll, I'll try to get into that in a little bit more but at the heart of contemplative spiritual practice um, and this, you, i see this in primarily very explicitly in the, in the indian spiritual traditions um, the, the the traditions of the far east that you see in china and japan um, and and I think it, a similar idea exists in many of the theistic contemplative traditions of the world. Um, but the basic premise is that there's something uh, within us that is free and independent of whatever conditions are occurring. That there's a there's a inherent freedom to something within us, and that something within us is usually signified with by consciousness. There's something about consciousness that is inherently free. Um, among other things. But the the basic hypothesis or the basic formulation of, of, of contemplative practice is that in order to see for yourself the truth of that hypothesis, the truth of that hypothesis, in order to see for yourself that there is a peace or a freedom independent of conditions, <clears throat> you have to be A, in the present moment, and you got to look in a particular way. So another way of saying that is that there's a direct experience, or there's a way to experience our world directly now. <clears throat> and when we are able to access that, either through contemplative practice, instruction, teaching, uh, reading, or I could say you might say you could access that more spontaneously in, in natural settings or natural conditions, where the mind might uh, almost stumble upon this insight. And this definitely happens for for people. You see this in the literature: people who do zero practice, but they they seem to stumble upon this big discovery about this this thing about consciousness. Um, but when we are the, the premise in this in the in the in the path is that. If our mind is lost in thought, if our mind is sort of swept away by uh, its own conceptual creations, in a way, it will not be able to recognize this this nature or this uh, intrinsic quality of consciousness. So th there's this great emphasis, and you've heard it elsewhere, 
to, to a much greater degree, I'm sure, but there's a tremendous emphasis in meditation culture around coming to the present moment. And <clears throat> my sense is that when that, that emphasis of coming to the present moment is emphasized too much, or too much in particularly in the beginning, it, it, it stirs up a kind of trying to be present that then prevents a relaxed, easeful presence from emerging. It's kind of like the, I used before that, that, that metaphor of coming to stillness. You know, the, if, you're, if you're seeking stillness on a boat on a lake and you're motoring around looking for the stillness, you're creating waves in the lake that, that prevent you from ever experiencing stillness. So rest, coming to rest in the present moment, and, and then from that rest in the present moment to be able to see into say, the nature of experience, the nature of consciousness there. To do that, the, the effort that we use needs to be very, very finely calibrated um, towards relaxation. Anything else beyond that is, in a way, stirring the pot too much and, and making it all the more challenging to, to, to uh, come to these deeper insights. So this is why, um, for... For many folks, and particularly for beginners, I strongly recommend getting well established within the the, um, the format or the approach of Yin meditation that I've just loosely based off of some of the stylistic elements of Yin yoga, which doesn't initially try to anchor the mind in the present moment. It simply begins by trying to establish a friendly relationship to whatever is occurring. Not meaning that you necessarily feel friendly to what's occurring or that you have friendly feelings for what's occurring, but that you are um, relaxed enough to be receptive to the truth of what's occurring for you, whether it's wandering mind and all the um, kind of the, the thought streams and stories and patterns and likes and dislikes of the of the thinking mind, or what it's like to come to real presence so that that you come that you are open to all of these in a very relaxed way so that there's there's less and less push on, on the process. But then what I've been trying to emphasize this fall is that in the moments when we are awake, so when 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 I try to say it like they, when when consciousness becomes awake to itself naturally, meaning you become awake that you're here, that you're sitting, you know that you're sitting, you know that you're breathing, you know that you might be hearing sounds. When you come to that that state of wakeful consciousness naturally, then we can start to really add in some more specific instructions to to explore and um, get more familiar with, and I want to say even interrogate the nature of that experience. And please hear that word interrogation lightly. It's more of an inquisitive exploration of what what you're what you're experiencing and noticing. Um, so in the instructions that Terry and I have been sharing for the last few weeks, uh, we've been emphasizing, uh, a, the relaxation piece of just coming to relaxation and, and noticing when the mind naturally becomes present. So when, when presence itself seems to come online naturally and just to, just to appreciate that. So it's, it's something that's getting gently nurtured through relaxation and, and, and effortlessness in a way, rather than uh, kind of an egoic striving to become more present. 
from from natural presence, uh, we've been suggesting that we can really start to look at the two primary kinds of experiences that vibrate through our neuroanatomy when we're present. If you think about your experience, when you're really present, two large domains of your experience are that sounds are vibrating into your mind, your brain, and sensations are vibrating into your being. Those, those two things are, are occurring. There's lots of sounds and lots of sensations. So in trying to support looking at the nature of sound, looking at the nature of sensation, we have been using a technique that was developed in, in Burma slash Myanmar uh, in the early part of the 20th century, known as, known as the technique of mental labeling. And I've given you a kind of stylized version of it. I've added a few things to it. But the basic idea is that when you're awake, when you, when you know that you're present, the idea is to lightly tag whatever is most predominant in your experience. So whatever experience is, is most salient, most, uh, most clearly recognizable, that's the one you label. So it could be something in the body. It could be the sound, the environment. As you've been working with, and then in subsequent weeks, we'll start to add in the um, the the experiences that the mind self generates, so thoughts and feelings, things like that. But we're trying to keep it very simple um, at this stage, uh, just to get familiar with the kind of the, the dynamics of looking when you're present, just to get then to, to be really relaxed about it. Um, I'm sure some of you felt that in the, in the transition or the the addition from just playing with listening to sounds to adding in sensations and then trying to figure out what you're going to label, what kind of sensation is that? Is that is that a tension or is that more of an ache or is that more of a, a numbness? How do I label that? So you, your mind can get kind of hooked, on, hooked into what, how, what kind of label you use, which <clears throat> on one level is to be expected, but on another level it can um, it can or it can it can really uh, fan the tendency of the self to try to do it correctly, and then that can that can lead to unnecessary agitation. So, I'm trying to titrate the domains of experience slowly enough, just to ease us ease everybody into it in a really low key, relaxed way. So, you know, there's there's no new pressure this week. There's no, I'm not going to like ask you to catalog the, the psychological states between jealousy and rage in your practice. And you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Just we'll keep it to sensations of sound and, and, and physical tactile experiences. Um, but I want to kind of put that, why we do that on the map. Okay. Why, why is this a, why does this practice of noticing constitute a, uh, you know, a contemplative path or a spiritual path? And to answer that, um, I want to kind of try to lay, uh, layer in now one of the questions that I did hear coming up in a few different ways, which is a question around a word that was used, was, what was mentioned by me in a quotation from Chogyam Trungpa. And the word was precise. The, word, the actual word in the quotation was precisely, and I'll read it shortly in a second, but it brought this idea of precision in practice and and i kind of just want to offer a few reflections on, around that and how that might develop in a way 
um, in the course of your you know, practice here. So the, the actual quote, this is um, this is from a Tibetan teacher named Chogyam Trungpa. Um, he, he's, I don't know how, he died, I think, in the maybe the late 70s. Um, but he was one of the t uh, Tibetan teachers that, that escaped Tibet and brought um, forms of Tibetan Buddhism to the, the U.S. And um, very influential figure, very controversial figure. Uh, that's another whole side conversation. But um, he said about practice, he said, the basic practice is to be present right here. The goal is also the technique. But just that bears repeating. Practice is to be present right here, and the goal is also the technique. So being present is the goal, and how do you? What's the technique to be present? So the two are together. But then he says, and this is the word: precisely being in this moment, neither suppressing nor wildly letting go, but by being precisely aware of what you are. So precisely being in this moment neither suppressing nor wildly letting go, but being precisely aware of what you are. And then in the discussion, your discussion that Terry facilitated and held with you, um, you know, I heard, I heard it a few different ways, like how, how precise and what, is that, what does that really mean in terms of what we experience or what we're paying attention to or how we're engaging. And... Um, and and I think it was, I don't know if she's even on the call, but Don, uh, one of the students, uh, shared something at the end that I thought was actually quite quite helpful and relevant too. Um, but one way to think about the word precision or precisely is if we put it in the context of an artist or even a, a someone who appreciates art. And I tend to use my examples from jazz because that's the art form that I feel like I have no some about so that were more than I know most about other arts forms, I should say. So I tend to speak about that. But, um, you know, if I, if I think about someone who's just getting interested in music, um, you know, one level of their precision of, of appreciating music is first just recognizing the difference between say jazz and classical or rock, or rhythm and blues, or ragtime, or um, traditional folk music from other parts of the world. You know, there's there's certain specific things you need to recognize about the genre, just as you enter into the appreciation of music, and particularly of jazz. And then once once the kind of the you start to internalize the 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 specific features of the art then you start to notice more nuance within the the art form itself you know there's 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 sub styles within the art there's there's, there's cool jazz hot jazz and uh, modal jazz and larger ensemble jazz and smaller quartet jazz you start to get more familiar with the different styles and that's sort of a development of the precision of your appreciation of the form and then from there, you know, I, I specifically remember having a, a client in Boston for acupuncture came in, went to my office one day and I was playing my Spotify jazz channel and he heard the, the trio and he said, oh, that's, and I can't remember who he said, but he said that was, it was definitely, uh, 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 
blanking on the pianist's name now, but Bill Evans, Bill Evans trio. And he named off the bass player and the piano and the, and the drummer. And he knew the year, he knew the album, he knew the song immediately after only hearing about 10 seconds of the music. And, you know, on one level, that a capacity to hear 10 seconds of something and then to have all this understanding open up around it, what the song is, who the musicians are, when it was recorded, where in the, in the artist's life, you know, all these things open up. And those come from greater and greater familiarity with the art, greater and greater appreciation of the art. And so there's a, there, there's a, what I'm trying to point to is a development of precision through familiarity and appreciation. And that kind of feeds into what I heard Dawn mentioning towards the end of this precision. Con she, I think she chimed in at the end of last week. And um, I forget the exact phrase she used, but she, it was the, the essence of it, the way I heard it was something to do with um, like a really sincere, wholehearted presence. Like the precision wasn't so much of a um, noticing granular details about everything, which is one way of interpreting precision. It was more of uh, a wholehearted presence to, wit, to be with what was there. And, and when I heard her mention that, it, it, it struck me as similar to some of the, the qualities of being that the Buddha encouraged in his particular teaching around developing mindfulness. Um, he talks about mindfulness itself, this is the ability to hold something, to remember to hold something in mind. He talks about clear comprehension, which is the, the, the clear understanding of what you're aware of. And then he talks about, he used this word atapi, uh, which is often translated as ardency or wholehearted sincerity. And I'm, I'm bringing this into this question around precision because for me that, and I've heard other folks say this too, but I think of all the kind of motivational energies we can bring or mobilize within our practice, it's it's that issue that, that quality of wholeheartedness of ardency of sincerity that um, seems to be the magic ingredient that really um, determines how how a practice will unfold. You know, if someone doesn't have that the, the real sincere interest themselves, it's very like unlikely that the practice will will um, in some ways go to the depths of, of realization that I think these practices point to. In other words, you can't just go through the motions like a, a spiritual mechanic or a spiritual engineer just trying to get the right technique down. There's something much more important of the sincerity of how you're looking. And techniques can come in and support that, but the, the main thing is really the, the quality and sincerity of the way we look. So to just uh, to, 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 to maybe pause on the theme of precision, I would say, um, and we can talk about it more, but the, the basic idea is to be as sincere and, and interested as possible in what's occurring, to really taking a fresh look without being tight about it. So if you're too tight, you know, that, that, can, that can constrict your ability to really take in what's occurring. So um, it's a relaxed presence that it has a kind of panoramic specificity to it. It's another phrase that Trungpa uses. There's an openness of mind, a deep spaciousness of presence, 
the panoramic nature. And within that panorama, there's also a, a, a precision or a, a specificity to the specific things that are occurring. So you're really present to, as I heard some of you talking, like the, the tick of the clock and really what that sounds like when you listen to it, not just once, but several times in succession, sound starts to reveal different aspects of itself or the sound of traffic or the, the sensations in your body to really not have such a um, casual or complacent way of looking, but a real sincere interest in looking. Which brings me to the, the, the technique itself of labeling. So um, I know the, the phrase mantra was being used. And I, I know Terry brought that up. And, and I, I know on one level, this is the, the use of the, that, that term is totally correct. It's sort of a, a thing that we repeat from time to time. And, and mantra has a kind of a, a generalized use now. But specifically in meditation, often a mantra is something that you you, you turn to like a, you give it your full attention, like the primary object of your experience, and you allow you try to get yourself absorbed in the the sound of the mantra, the syllable, the repetition, and all that. And that's not quite that, that's not functioning the same way as as where we mean the, the mantra of noting your experience. So the, the 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 mantra that we were suggesting was something like hearing hearing sounds are being known. So it's sort of a contemplative phrase that can be used or touching, touching sensations are being known. And the idea around that is that the, the verbal word that you use, whatever it is, you, and the, I should say the word itself is, is of much less importance than what you're tending to with the word. So, you know, if you want to just use a, a generic label like oink, oink, whatever happened, oink, oink, sounds are being known. <laughs> <laughs> or sensation, sensations, uh, sensations are being there. You can use whatever word. But the, the label itself is meant to simply be serve as a frame, a frame around a piece of art to guide your attention more closely to the experience within the frame. And um, and so I would say too that it's not just to guide your attention to, to notice what's in the frame, but it's also to 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 look in a special manner. And I'm, I'm kind of struggling for words here because it's we're not just looking casually, like oh that's what it is, and I know what it is. No, check. It's, it's not that kind of knowing where it's like oh I've seen that before, I know that joke, or I know that story, I know that experience, and been there, done that. It's not about that. It's much more closely related to. Do I really know what this thing is? I've taken this for granted. That's a sound. That's a traffic sound. Well, where does the traffic sound start and end? Or where does the, as, as some of you were talking about, like, or, and I think Terry was bringing this up too, but even with the clock, you hear the sound and where, what's, what's in the space between the sound? What happens when you, to your consciousness when those things are registered very closely. And this is where um, the noting, I would say, in some respects, I'm trying to think of the phrase for you. The phrase I'm coming up with is the noting keeps us honest in a way. Not that there's, there's some absolute honesty or absolute truth, but it, it keeps us connected to real-time events. And in that connection, and I think some of you are speaking to this, 
A, the mind wanders quite less, or, or quite a bit less. There's less wandering, and so the, that the use of the noting anchors us or and, and locks us into real-time events occurring, which then allows us to see most more closely the content of our experience. And, and this is what a few of you are also getting at, is then from seeing the content more closely, the context within which the content is appearing also becomes recognizable or known. And that's why the phrase I was suggesting was hearing, hearing sounds are being known. And that right there, that label or that, that, that contemplative phrase combines recognition of the experience itself, but then also starts to remind us that there's something knowing that experience. There's a process, there's, there's an entity, there's a, a field. And we don't, I don't know what to really call it when we, when we get into it, but there's something aware of the, the content. And um, I think it was John's share a couple weeks ago where the sounds of the environment were being described as waves and, and the sounds were coming and going. And that was one part of the experience. So that was one side of the experience. And on the other side, there was listening occurring. And the listening, the receptivity of listening, at least as I heard the discussion, was being described as different than the sounds themselves. So like there's the waves of sound, and then there's the sort of the container holding those waves. <clears throat> and that is what I would say is the often a development within the process of noticing. So this is the, in a minute, like I'm speaking now as um, a meditative trainer. So like if you came to the meditative gym and this, I'm thinking exactly like this way, like if I try to get you to be able to do this kind of thing at, in the gym, you need certain skill sets to get there. One skill set is arriving in a really relaxed, fresh, interested way in the present moment that's a skill set another skill set is being able to look closely at what's occurring and just recognize the objects of experience and we're i'm keeping it really simple sounds and sensations for now but once once the once your mind starts to get stabilized within recognizing objects of experience then the the the, the context the, the container the the field of knowing, consciousness itself. I'm going to use many words for this, but then this other dimension of the, of the experience starts to be intuited. And I say intuited specifically because it, we can never see it. All we see with consciousness are sights or images. We won't hear it. All we hear with consciousness is sounds. It won't be known as a thought. Any thought is just another object in consciousness so i'm, I'm planning a flag here i'm not going to spend <laughs> spend too much time on this tonight the nature of consciousness is something is a direction we're moving to um and it, i heard it starting to come up al already and that's 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 great um and we can continue to talk about it tonight i just want to say though that in my my sense of it and this is just having practiced in different traditions for a while and talked to many people about this there are some traditions that point out this, this nature of consciousness directly. And there's been sangha sessions where I've tried to do that with you at different times over the last year. 
So there's some traditions that are just trying to point that out directly. Never mind what you're experiencing. Notice who, what is experiencing the experience. Who or what is that experience? Of? Developmentally, I think people have an easier time. This is just a personal opinion. Uh, and you can agree with me or disagree with me. But um, I, my sense is people have an easier time recognizing the nature of consciousness, which is in some ways super subtle and also super obvious. It's like once you get it, start to really get it. It's like this has been staring me in the face since I was a kid. As long as I can remember, how did I forget this? So it's it's right here already, um, but it becomes easier to recognize its right hereness alreadyness when we've de- when the meditator has developed the capacity, the skills to recognize the nature of all, all sensory experiences to really in, uh, fully uh, become very skilled at just seeing the nature of sounds, sensations, thoughts, feelings, images, tastes, and smells. Now, the good news with meditation is that that sounds like a long list, but we don't get usually that many smells. And we might get some images, but those tend to be, particularly if we're meditating with our eyes closed, those tend to be internal images, which um, we can capture. We can, we can recognize them when they're occurring. Um, but the big ones are sensations in the body. We have a lot of sensations to, to, to be attentive there too. And environmental sounds and thoughts. Now, again, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be transposing our meditative skills to thoughts in a, in a week or two. I'm intentionally going, you know, kind of a relaxed, low-key pace, emphasizing sounds and sensations, just to get very familiar with that. Because that um, there's no there's no benefit in rushing in a way. Like, is getting really good at sounds and sensations is exactly like what it will be like when we get familiar looking at our thoughts, and and looking at our thoughts from a, from a vipassana perspective. Um, so. Let me see if there's anything else I want to add here. I think that's it for now. Basically, uh, as I'm trying to put it, put this in a, in, a, in a broader context again, yin meditation is about developing a relaxed, receptive appreciation of um, the way your experience is naturally. And that will include drifting states and waking states. So no problem with either. Down the road, I'm going to make an argument again for why I think drifting states are in some ways gold mines for insight about who we are, our psychology, our fears and hopes and all that. There's a lot there, but in service of focusing on what we're doing when we're present, I can't address that right now. But yin meditation so far is about developing a relaxed, receptive, and safe relationship to being present. Safe because you know you have choices. And, and, the, and that... The instructions of yin meditation um, remain as we layer in extra approaches to practice on top. So uh, nothing I'm going to say now overrides the basic foundation of yin meditation. But once we're um, getting relaxed and comfortable and and feeling safe within our present moment experience, then we can, um, in the Vipassana style, start to really look more closely at what it's like to really listen closely both to sounds 
and and physical uh, phenomena or physical sensation. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And uh, again, if you would like to practice with me and Terry in an ongoing, consistent way, or have access to our regular classes, both live and in the recorded library, please consider joining the Riverbird Sangha at joshsummers.net forward slash sangha, where everyday people awaken to the everyday sublime in daily life. That's really the, the essence of it. Uh, and also, if you're, again, one more plug for the, the shop page, joshsummers.net forward slash shop, that's where you'll find our on-demand workshops, on-demand courses, and trainings. Um, so there's a lot there now. Please check that out. And um, if you have any questions, please feel free to shoot me an email at josh at joshsummers.net. I always like to hear any questions or practice experiences that you're having. And I'll just say on closing note, please stay safe. I know we're all still going through a lot right now, but stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take good care.